This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We're going to be touching on a really important topic today, which is hyperemesis gravidarum. For those of you who have had this, you know exactly what it is. And for those of you who haven't, you may have heard of morning sickness. Well, this is not that. Hyperemesis is a very severe form of what is commonly known as morning sickness, but essentially it's a medical condition in which people are nauseous all day and vomiting multiple times a day resulting in any number of physical and emotional repercussions. And today we're going to hear a personal story from Lauren Harris, who is a married mother of three living in Western Massachusetts. She is a licensed mental health counselor and the owner of Center for Perinatal Wellness. She is also the Western Massachusetts Regional Coordinator for Postpartum Support International. She is coming on to share her story of HG through three separate pregnancies. We're going to be able to hear in detail how through the first pregnancy, she learned about this condition and was dealing with it for a very long time. And she also dealt with postpartum anxiety. She's going to be sharing how both of these experiences impacted her and her pregnancies and postpartum experiences, as well as contributed to her specializing in the field of perinatal mental health. So let's hear from Lauren. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Kat. Oh, sure. I'm really grateful that you're coming on to share your story through three experiences uh, with HG. I think this is a condition that, you know, as you know very well, that not a lot of people talk about, and there's not quite enough resources out there yet. So I think you sharing your experience and how it's shaped you professionally is really going to help a lot of people. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. So please do start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay. So I became pregnant, my first pregnancy. I was 22. I had graduated with my bachelor's degree in psychology just a week prior when I found out 
I was pregnant with my daughter, Natalie, who is now 13. Mm. And it was a surprise. We weren't trying at the time. And, and while my then fiance, now husband and I were excited and happy, we were also really scared and we had just moved into our first apartment like a few mm. months earlier. Wow. And around week seven or eight, I want to say, so it was pretty early on, I began feeling incredibly nauseous. And, you know, my mother, my mother-in-law, other women around me told me that that was normal. It was just morning sickness. But I was vomiting a lot. Oh, so early was, on. That early on, mm-hmm. yeah, multiple times a day, oh. I was getting sick from the moment my feet hit the floor. I mean, so right in the very beginning, yeah, around you know that seven, eight, nine week, it was more nausea than it was vomiting, but the vomiting was happening, and then things progress. And my OBGYN at the time, at first. Also had, you know, I called the triage line Mm -hmm. and they had reassured me, this is normal, this is normal. But then my mother actually ended up calling and I don't remember how many weeks I was at that point, just because I was unable to keep any food down, any Mm -hmm. liquids down, and my energy level was just so low. And at that point, they had recommended that I go to the emergency room for expecting moms Mm -hmm. um, at a local hospital. And so I did that and received a few few bags of fluid after being diagnosed with dehydration. But interestingly enough, it wasn't until the end of my pregnancy that I ever heard the word hyperemesis. Really? Yeah. No one said anything to me about that. Mm -hmm. I just kept thinking and talking about this when I was talking to people about it as really bad morning sickness or morning sickness on steroids Mm. is how I would kind of refer to it. And it just lasted. It just kept going. It did persist through the entire pregnancy. Mm. And so I ended up having to go into that hospital four times for IV fluids. Wow. I had lost 40 pounds oh my in the first, definitely under 20 weeks. Really? Yeah, it was definitely before the anatomy scan that I had lost that much weight. And I was really frustrated. My mother was very frustrated that it didn't seem like anyone was taking this very seriously. And just to put it in context, I wasn't overweight. I wasn't terribly overweight. So I'm 5'6". Mm-hmm. And I weighed a hundred at the time I weighed like 190, 95 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then when I lost the 40, 40 pounds later, mm-hmm. um, but it was so much weight in such a short period of time. And that was really what was concerning. And of course, um, you know, during that time, basically being, there were, there were days where I was unable to get out of bed, wow. just unable to stand. And I have this vivid memory early in pregnancy So when I say early in pregnancy, I mean before the anatomy scan, before that 20-week mark. Uh Um, 
I have this vivid memory of my husband on one side of me and my mother on the other, and they lifted me out of bed so that I could go take a shower. Oh man! So that they could could clean me, you know, just to help me take a cool shower because I just didn't have, I didn't have the energy. I was so dizzy when I stood up. I wasn't able to keep anything down. Um, Wow. It was really, it was really in there. Yeah. That is so intense. Yeah. Um, I like, were you, so it sounds like everybody up until then was telling you this is normal stuff and yeah. What does, what does that do to you to hear that this is normal? Well, I hate to even say this out loud because my love for my daughter is so incredibly strong Mm -hmm. and I, I can't imagine our lives without her, but in those early times, I just kept thinking to myself, there's no way this is normal. There's no way that people would do this on purpose. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and my mother and I had a conversation about terminating the pregnancy Mm -hmm. because it just, I, I needed people to help me go into the bathroom. Right. I mean, (laughs) I mean, so all of this to say, I hope it's assumed I had to stop working as well. Right, of course. I couldn't work. So I, at the time, I was a therapeutic, the title was therapeutic services advocate. Mm -hmm. So I was essentially an activities, you know, therapeutic activities person at an inpatient psychiatric unit. Okay, right. So my job was pretty. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Yeah. No, no, no. So my job was relatively physical. Granted, calling out bingo numbers isn't all that physical, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or during doing arts and crafts or painting, you know, it's. But you you it's, have to have energy. You have to have your wits about you. Yeah. You, you have to be, you know, engaged. Right. Right. And at that time, I just didn't. Right. I couldn't. I couldn't. I mean, I wasn't eating. Right. And not on purpose. I wanted to eat. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. So it was really difficult. And so additionally, an additional stressor during that time, I was technically a part-time employee. So I, at the facility, so I didn't have sick time or vacation Mm. days or any paid time off whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so being unable to work put a huge financial strain on us. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was really stressful. And I didn't know how long that was going to go on. And my supervisor at the time was a woman who had never heard of this, like so Mm. many people. Right. And actually I didn't have the vocabulary because no one had educated me with what this was called. Right. 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 So when I was calling out of work saying I have morning sickness, she was, she became pretty intolerant of that. Well, other women don't have it like this. Yeah. Oh no. She, she had a baby last year and she was able to come into work every day, mm. you know, while she was in early pregnancy. Um, Gosh. Did, did that happen a lot? People kind of discounting um, the yeah. severity. Oh, I imagined, totally. I imagined it would. Yeah. <laughs> Until I went, eventually went back to work after I, I think it was my third trip to that emergency room for expectant moms when someone finally prescribed me Zofran, Mm. 
which, which at the time, circa 2006, early 2000s, well, not, I guess mid-2006, use for hyperemesis was, a, was an off-label use. And someone had told me, I think it was someone from the insurance company. Actually, they told my mother because I wasn't making any phone calls. Mm. The insurance wasn't paying for the Zofran because using it to treat hyperemesis gravidarum was an off-label use. And it, at that time, it was only approved for chemotherapy patients wow. to help combat their nausea. And Gosh. so thank God, you know, I think my lucky star is that my parents are in a financial position where they're comfortable and they were able to pay out of pocket the 90 something dollars per pill because I needed oh, my gosh three, three a day. Oh my goodness. Get me through. And then around sometime after 20 weeks, I was able to, to go back down on that and just took one every day. Hmm. Oh, but, but still, um, I mean, you're still having the same level of difficulty. Were you still having the same level of difficulty? You just needed less? After the 20 week mark, I was vomiting less than five times a day. Before that mark, it was, it was more. Oh my than gosh. That. Can I ask yeah. a question about what else that is doing to your body? I mean, you're, you're physically exhausted. I'm assuming you have pain in other ways too, from this sure. like yeah. constant. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. 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 I remember my whole body aching uh-huh. and just not feeling like I had any energy at all. And I remember counting one time how many times I actually was vomiting in a day. And the, and my record was 12, 12 Holy, times a day. Oh my gosh. And that, I just like, that's not dry heaving. That was mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Something. Exiting. Oh my gosh. That's like every hour. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> it just, you know, it came on, you know, you just do it because there's not, you don't have a choice. There's, sure. I didn't have a choice. Right. It just happened. Right. Um, yeah. And really as my pregnancy progressed and the Zofran was in my system, I wasn't vomiting quite so often. And I don't remember when it started to ease up. I, it was somewhere in the thirties the 30 weeks or mm. 35 or 37 mm-hmm. or whatever. That's when I started to vomit only once or twice a day. Oh my gosh. Well, it's, hard, I, to rem- yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to remember the nausea. The nausea just felt like, Oh, this is my life now. Mm. This, this is how I feel. Nauseous just all constant. the time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. 
episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So this uh, reduction, that was a relief, but I mean, in comparison, I can't imagine how much of a relief that is, but you're still dealing with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, So Natalie was actually 10 days past her. She was born 10 days past her due date. Oh. And I remember throwing up the morning I went in for her induction. Mm. Mm-hmm. And at that point, and I don't remember when it really switched, like the from like just being totally consumed physically by this nausea and vomiting mm-hmm. and and just waking up in the morning, throwing up, brushing my teeth, and going about my day. It was just that that normal of a part of it your day. It was that normal. Mm even at 41 weeks. Wow. Wow. <sighs> so this whole time, did you stay home, uh, stay off of work? No, I reduced my hours. And so I was working maybe two days a week, mm-hmm. maybe three, two to three days a week. And once my, so when I went back to work, my supervisor who had become intolerant of my calling out because of morning sickness. Once she physically saw me mm. and saw that I had lost 40 pounds mm. between that moment and the last time she saw me, which mm. was a couple of weeks, she took it serious. Oh, okay. Yeah. She said, oh my gosh, I mm-hmm. guess you were sick. Yeah. 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 Still am, but I'm here. And yeah. so- wow, wow. They allowed me to really have a pretty sedentary job at that point. Mm-hmm. I did some data entry. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was up on the units, I was sitting. You were, uh, sorry, you were what? When you were up on I the was units. sitting. 
you were I was sitting okay. down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I wasn't doing many behavioral interventions. Right. Certainly when residents became a little aggressive, I was not to be involved in any of that. So they did make some accommodations for me, which was the only only possible way that I could have worked at all. Wow. So really not that many, you said one person mentioned HG or said that this was HG to you out of all of the the people you'd been around. Nobody really knew what this was. They may have known, but no one said anything to me that I recall Mm -hmm. that I recall. Yeah. But when I was going into the hospital, I was so, so, so sick. that It's very likely someone could have said something to me. And I just was, I didn't have my wits about me. Yeah. Yeah. At that moment. Right. How can you Um, think when you haven't been able to eat or drink anything and keep it in? Right. Right. I wasn't doing a whole lot of my own advocating or speaking or history giving at that point. It was whoever, it was either my then fiance, now husband, who was bringing me or my mom. Mm -hmm. So I I guess I'm I'm making an assumption um, and thinking that this is once you're going through something like this, it's just all consuming. This is, this is yeah. the thing you're dealing with. There isn't, there isn't a whole lot else going on. If you can recall what was happening to you emotionally, um, like to, to, you know, just to get through this and to keep going, how did you manage that? So in times where I was <laughs> upright and moving around and, you know, back to work and things like that, I was on Zofran. And I was so, so scared that I was harming my baby Mm. by taking this medicine. But if I didn't take the medicine, I had to be horizontal. I had to be laying down. I was non-functional at all. No cooking, no cleaning, no caring for myself, really. You know, thinking back to that memory of my mother and my husband carrying me into the bathroom to shower. So it was between, I was, I felt very stuck between a rock and a hard place, which of course creates guilt and shame Mm. and so much anxiety because, Mm. you know, after we had made the decision, yes, we are definitely going through with this pregnancy. We are definitely having this little baby. She is a product of our love and she deserves to be here. This is the right choice for us you know, we were all in. And so I didn't have much of a choice. Mm -hmm. I had to take this medicine, but it was so scary. Yeah. Um, And additionally, I had worries about, you know, so is she going to be healthy, but also am I going to be healthy at the back end? What if this Mm -hmm. doesn't go away Mm -hmm. when she's here? How am I going to care for her? Right. What if this is just my life now? What if I just... Stop throwing up. Yeah. Wow. Right. Because at that point, you're, it's so part of your everyday that I, it, I imagine it would be hard to see your life without it. Although I'm sure you hoped for it every day too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And of course, those worries about, you know, what if I never stop throwing up? What if I never stop feeling nauseous? They mm-hmm. really before I reach the point of, you know, get up in the morning, throw up, brush my teeth, move mm-hmm. on with my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But it was really scary. And what kind of damage is this doing uh-huh. to my muscle, my esophagus? Is she, yeah. because I'm unable to eat, because I'm unable to keep liquids down, uh-huh. is she going to be 
you know, malnourished? Is she going to be harmed in some way just because I'm unable to take good care of myself mm-hmm. nutritionally? Wow. So by the time you got to birth, you said um, induction 10 days po- after um, mm-hmm. the due date, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, were, were you, were those worries present for you during birth? Like, is she going to, you know, be okay? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, was really scared. Mm-hmm. I was really scared that there would be some surprise. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, after all, the pregnancy in and of itself was a surprise. The hyperemesis was a surprise. Yeah. So I was worried that, oh my gosh, what if she has some condition not compatible with life? What if mm. she, what if they miss something? Mm. What if I can't do this? Uh-huh. Sure. Right. Like this is only the start of it. Now I have to take care of this little person. So you're going, I'm assuming then you're going into birth exhausted also. Yeah, I, a little bit. I re- I remember we- just being so excited that mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be pregnant anymore. <laughs> right. right. Thank God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> huge belly I've been carrying around. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, thank God. Like, I'm so done with pregnancy. Yeah. I was excited for that. Sure. Um, so I remember being happy okay. to go have her. But also, you know, also worried. Yeah, right. It's a, it's, I'm sure a mixed bag. I mean, how, how could it not be? Yeah, right. And I think that's so normal, right? Mm-hmm. For any first time mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excitement and worry. Sure. And nervousness, right? Yeah, Going totally. into the first delivery. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the, the HG part of your, your story, so, she came out and was, was she okay? And how did you feel physically? So it was a 23 hour induction, which I know for first time births and inductions, that's pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, okay, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) (laughs) In all actuality, after she was born, I was like, that wasn't so bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I had to compare the two, hyperemesis and giving birth, I would give birth all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. There's a beginning, middle, and and end. Right. Yeah. Right. So all of her APGAR scores were fantastic. She was... Eight pounds, 11 ounces, pink, mm. cried right away, mm. uh, was a good nurser, loved the skin to skin. Just, it was, she was perfect. Wow. That's she great. Totally what a relief. Yeah. I hemorrhaged, but I didn't actually know that I hemorrhaged until I was pregnant with my second child mm. because the doctor who delivered me did a DNC right away, right there after the birth. Okay. Can you please, as many of us are probably trying to wrap our heads around this, explain a little bit about what happened. Sure. So I pushed for 20 minutes, which woohoo, great, mm-hmm. right? This but is birth number one? Birth number one. Okay. Birth number one. Yep. So I had been laboring all night. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in the middle of the night, decided to get an epidural. Uh-huh. After the epidural 
took place, I was able to get a little bit of sleep. So I got maybe three or four hours. And then just before nine in the morning, a nurse came in to check on me. And all I remember her saying is, oh, you're ready to go. And so she walked out of the room and my doctor and she came back in and they said, all right, when we say so, push. So I pushed for just about 20 minutes and Natalie was born. And I knew that there would be blood. Mm -hmm. My husband knew that there would be blood. I was so focused on my daughter that had just been born, who was placed on me Mm -hmm. and then taken away to be washed and swaddled and observed and all of that. My complete attention, complete, absolutely 100% attention was on her. Sure. Right. And I had no idea what was going on south of the border. Mm -hmm. No idea whatsoever. And frankly, I didn't care. I just, I didn't care. It wasn't part, it wasn't something that I, that mattered to me at that Mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And, and like I said, you know, I had the epidural, which I, I felt nothing from the waist down, absolutely nothing. And it wasn't until a prenatal visit while I was pregnant with my second child that that doctor who had delivered my first child said to me, I hope I didn't traumatize you with the DNC. I said, the what now? <laughs> right. <laughs> the what? Uh-huh. And, and then she read to me from my chart explaining that I had hemorrhaged and she had recognized it, but because the epidural was still working so well that she did what she had to do right then and there. And she explained to me that she did that. She made that decision because otherwise I would have had to been put under general anesthesia. They would have had to prep an OR. I would have been separated from my baby. And she decided in that moment, albeit without consent, that it would be less traumatic for me if she just did it then. Okay. Because I guess the placenta didn't come out Got it. the way it was supposed to or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> that's just, that's, I mean, you, you've already been through a lot, uh, enough for sure. Uh, and that's, that's just, wow. That's a lot. Okay. So, how, so sorry, when, know. you found that out when you, were, when you were pregnant with the second? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know what a normal birth looked like. Sure. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, supposed to be that much blood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was 22. Uh-huh. Right. So <laughs> I was just letting them do what they needed to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But, but I'm not quite as good as a patient at this point in my life. <laughs> oh, by, by good patient, whatever do you mean? <laughs> I mean, I mean, not asking questions and being complicit and doing what they tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you're not a good, a good patient anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great. So, um, alter releases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well. you can't come to our practice and like cross stuff out. Like, well, it just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. 
So by the time your second pregnancy rolled around, were you feeling nauseous again? I was. I was. So similar to the first, nausea and vomiting showed back up like an old friend somewhere between that six and nine week time frame. And I know that's probably a huge time frame. I just don't quite remember exactly mm-hmm. when. Was this a like a planned pregnancy or, or a surprise? This was a, yes, this was a very, a very, very planned pregnancy. We had tried to, we were trying to get pregnant for about a year and a half when we finally did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was super exciting. Yeah. Yes. My kids are four years and 10 months apart. Mm. So four, it took us four years. Mm. Not, it didn't take us four years to get pregnant. In your um, like path to the second pregnancy, were you deterred in any way by your previous experience with HG or, or other things? Yes. So I had always thought that I wanted my children pretty close together in age, actually. Um, and then after my experience with HG and postpartum anxiety, that changed things. I needed the time for my mind and my body to really heal. You know, plus we had a lot, just a lot going on. We got married, we bought a house, I finished mm-hmm. graduate school, started yeah. and finished graduate school. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, you were busy. Uh, we were busy, yeah. And so it wasn't until Natalie was I think three and a half is when we decided, okay, now we can start trying. Three, three and a half, something like that. Mm-hmm. Now we can start trying. And it took us 18 months from that point Mm. to get pregnant. And so our kids are just about five years apart in age. Mm -hmm. But when I got pregnant with our second child, Mason, just like an old friend, hyperemesis gravidarum showed up to congratulate me. Yeah. (laughs) And I was thankfully well-versed. At this point, mm-hmm. it was in my medical record that this was something that I had dealt with. And so I was met with so much more support oh, from my medical team. Yes. Right. They were like, here's the Zofran. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, you know, five years later in 2011, I believe some things had changed on the insurance side of things. And so I did not have to pay out of pocket for this prescription anymore. I just had oh, to pay good. whatever wow. the copays were. Yeah. Wow. So just overall, such such a smooth transition. I think I only needed fluids once mm. throughout that pregnancy. And then in my third pregnancy, same thing, early pregnancy, hyperemesis shows up like an old friend to congratulate me. <laughs> Again, hey, doc. This is what I'm dealing with. Okay, here's the Zofran. And by that point, you know, while the nausea and vomiting were still happening, because I had a good, you know, my medical providers had this reported. This was part of my experience. I was self-employed with my third pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I was able to give myself the liberties I needed for right. rest, for right. hydration, for keeping my feet up. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. So, so the, the second two, it was, it was, it was a, a start. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, with the with the second mm-hmm. two pregnancies, did you still have vomiting every day, even with the Zofran, yep. or or was it? Yep. My, oh. With my second pregnancy, I I threw up every day until thirty seven weeks, mm. and with my third pregnancy, I threw up every day until thirty three weeks. Mm-hmm. So it got much better. <laughs> yes, it's I all mean, relative. When you can, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, absolutely. It's all, relative. it's all relative. Absolutely. You know, and comparing once a day to 12 times a day. Yeah. Or even five, it was easy breezy. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that so, sounds crazy. That sounds crazy to say a lot. <laughs> right. Um, but it is. I mean, yeah. it's relative. That, that's the perspective I have. Like, mm-hmm, oh, sure. once a day, psh, no problem. Got it in the bag. Sure. I mean, if if your only experience is what you've experienced, then yeah, everything is relative to that. No doubt. There's that, that does sound a whole lot easier than 12 times a day and you have support and you have medication early on. And, you know, it sounds like the, the amount of stressors was much lower, you know, just in terms of like financial stuff and uh, insurance and, and all of that. So there's so many factors. That is a lot. So many factors. Right. So with the, the anxiety that you mentioned, postpartum anxiety, was that, I mean, maybe if you can walk us through what that was like for you after your first, and then if it showed up for your second and third also. Yes. So unfortunately for me, I also struggled with postpartum anxiety with all three pregnancies. And, you know, per typical, I guess, my anxiety became worse with each subsequent pregnancy. Hmm. So with my first, with my daughter, I was worried that something awful was going to happen to her, that I wasn't good enough, that I would make a mistake, that I would walk in, you know, I would find her in her bassinet or her crib, just like not breathing. Those are my fears. Hmm. In addition to that, I didn't feel safe carrying her downstairs. Mm-hmm. So I avoided it at all costs. I didn't feel capable to give her a bath. Mm-hmm. And so I, my mother or my husband did it. And, and that was pretty much the extent of it with Natalie. But the fears around the stairs and the bath continued with my other two pregnancies as well, with Mason and Owen as well. Oh, during pregnancy um, and also... Were, Sorry, uh, both during pregnancy and postpartum, the anxiety was present? More so postpartum than during the pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, when I reflect on my postpartum period, I am drawn towards my third and final pregnancy with Owen, my five-year-old. He's five now because the intrusive thoughts were so real. Mm. I mean, of course, right? Isn't that redundant? They're terrible. So scary. And yeah. with him, it was the only pregnancy where I had nightmares about him. Yeah. So by the time that I gave birth to Owen, I was convinced that somewhere, sometime before the age of three, he would be taken from us oh, in gosh. some way. And and of course, that I mean, you, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this part, part of the would. content of the yeah. nightmares? It was, it was, it was oh. exactly what the night were, not nightmares were. Mm-hmm. Um, the nightmares were all different ways, right? Mm-hmm. I would leave him in a hot car. I 
I would turn my back while he was in the bath. I would like to get a towel or to get soap. Like I would just Mm -hmm. turn my back for a second and he would slip under the water and then that would be it. Or I would fall down the stairs. I mean, all of the scenarios Mm -hmm. that you can imagine, these were my nightmares. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. when he was born, it just carried over. Mm -hmm. And even though I had been successfully raising two other children, I was convinced that we were going to lose him some way, somehow. And it was but, just so scary. Of course. Uh, the, so the, the nightmares sounded like they were pretty consistent and regular. Mm-hmm. They were. They uh, were. Right, so I it's hard to escape recall, from them. Yeah. Yeah, I can't recall, you know, how often I was having them. I don't believe they were as often as once a week. But even when they weren't, happening i was still aware that i had this belief mm-hmm. Does that- um, yeah that's just kind of like ever present but in the back of your mind kind of a thing yeah yeah sometimes in the front yeah. sometimes in the front <laughs> yeah right. more so in the front after he was born oh, okay right because it was, when it was a dream and i would wake up i could you know pacify mm-hmm. myself oh god what a terrible dream what a terrible mm-hmm. dream what a- mm-hmm. thank god it was just a dream yeah. Yeah. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So. Oh, as your HG kind of got a little better in in each pregnancy, the anxiety uh, got worse in each postpartum. This is a quite a journey to be on for off and on for years. I mean, the the amount of resilience that it takes to to cope through all of this is quite a lot. 
so how how did you cope and and yeah what got you through this yeah um so following each birth i was in therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how i cope <laughs> sure the therapist i had was absolutely amazing taught me some really amazing skills we did some emdr great which of course if people don't know what that is mm. Eye movement, reprocessing, and desensitization. It was so incredibly helpful to have her there to talk these things out, to have her really point out in a gentle way the the flaws in my thinking. Mm-hmm. And I needed, I needed yeah. that. And and it wasn't until after my third birth that I chose to also go the route of therapy and medication combined. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the combination of an SSRI, antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication with psychotherapy, that helped absolutely tremendously. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that is like a life raft for a lot of people, both of those things, um, both medication and therapy. And certainly in combination, they can they can do a lot. So I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad you got some relief. And support and understanding. And because, I mean, these feelings are so challenging just physically and mentally and emotionally, but they're also very mm-hmm. isolating, you know, because nobody else is really going through it. They're watching you go through it. And um, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, have this intensity of physical symptoms and emotional symptoms and to keep going. And you did. You absolutely did. So that, and that's, that's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So is this by chance, all, all of your experience, part of what propelled you into uh, perinatal mental health work? How did you know? I don't know. I don't know. Just a wild <laughs> guess. Just a... <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. So it absolutely is. So while it was, it really was a combination. So I knew counseling was what I, was what I loved to do. It was my chosen profession. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it is my chosen Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not retired. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and I knew that the challenges I had with hyperemesis, you know, it has a name. So that means I'm not the only person on earth who's ever experienced this. Right. Right. And the anxiety, antenatal and postnatal, they have names. So I'm not the only person. Yeah. And there weren't any specialized resources that I knew of. And I live in Massachusetts and I think our, our state, our Commonwealth has a pretty good reputation of caring for its citizens, for having safety nets for people and pretty good resources for families. But I couldn't find any specific to perinatal mental health. Mm. Actually, I didn't even have that language. Sure. I just knew that I was super anxious, sometimes sad, and I had just had a couple of babies. So (laughs) who's going to help me? And it really did. But I knew I was, I was definitely like, because I had struggled with it, I was attracted to that transition of life. Sure. And so I sought out, I sought out trainings to do that. One of which was the postpartum support international components of care, which kind of cracked things open for me. I had taken other maternal mental health 
trainings, but there was just so much information in that particular one mm-hmm. that I felt like I need more of this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everybody needs more. Yeah. Of this. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yes. So my personal experience fueled my passion for working with this population. Yeah. And here you are. You have over these years that not only were you like getting help and support and healing, but you're building this beautiful practice that you now have. And how, how many clinicians do you have? And so there's three of us who are full-time, but we are expanding currently. Awesome. Um, yeah. The need is so great. It's so big. That's, you know, I knew that there was a need in our community when I decided to open the practice. I was in private practice before opening the group practice. And of course, the difference really, I mean, the hesitation I think for a lot of people is, you know, the recredentialing mm-hmm. with insurance panels. <laughs> yeah. Because that's always a fun ride. <laughs> always. Always. So that, that took a lot of work. But now that we're here and we've had our doors open as a limited liability corporation f- since 2018, um, so we're toddlers now. We're, our name is out there in the community and, you know, pediatricians, primary care physicians, OBGYN practices, midwives. We have a statewide resource called McPap for Moms. You know, they all refer to us yeah. because I think there's one other practice in the state that specializes solely on perinatal and maternal mental health. Really? The whole state? Wow. In terms of a group practice? In terms of a group practice. Uh And it's out of Mass General Hospital, which is in Boston, which Mm -hmm. is about an hour and a half, hour and 45, three hours if you hit traffic away from Mm -hmm. where we are in Western Mm -hmm. Mass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we really, you know, we pull from, you know, our client base is really basically anything Worcester West which if you're familiar with Massachusetts is basically the midline of the state. Oh, okay. All right. So there's still a massive need, which is why you're expanding. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, And one thing about, you know, now with the pandemic, we're a hundred percent telehealth is I'm finding people aren't hesitating to reach out. You know, we're normally, you know, we're getting calls from people who are an hour away, mm-hmm. which normally, you know, people in Massachusetts don't typically like driving too, too far. Yeah. <laughs> we're such a tiny yeah. state. We're not that really part of our cultural. Uh, uh, yeah. Culture. Yeah. So those aren't people that we normally would hear from, but the telehealth has really opened things up. That's great. I do. Uh, yeah. I mean, if there is some sort of silver lining, it, it is to all of this pandemic madness. There is that. I see that too. Just people are more in need and also more willing to reach out for help because that barrier just isn't there in the same way of of time and distance. And really like in a lot of places, it's your only option um, to do telehealth. Um, And it just so turns out that it's also a lot easier for people who are pregnant and not feeling well and have a newborn um, than it is to load themselves and whoever else up in a car and go somewhere. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
with all that you've been through, and I'm sure a lot of people who are hearing this can resonate on some level or maybe have more questions, but what were some of the things that you learned about these conditions and learned about yourself and things you want people to know? Yeah. So I learned that hyperemesis gravidarum is a thing, mm-hmm. first and foremost, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that it isn't just really bad morning sickness, Yeah. right? It's so much more than that. It is an all-consuming experience that sometimes you have to kind of fight for people to believe you. Yeah until they see it firsthand for themselves, right? Because then there's like no denying. I What I learned about myself is that I am strong mm-hmm. and resilient. Yeah. And I can push through some things that I did not. I would have never thought mm-hmm. that I could have done. I learned a lot about our healthcare system. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. Right. I did. I learned a lot about our healthcare system because it was the first time in my life anyone had told me, no, you can't take that medication Mm -hmm. because I'm a healthy person. Mm -hmm. I had always been a healthy person. And so, you know, growing up, you get the occasional like strep throat or ear infection or broken finger. Mm -hmm. And it's always just like, okay, well, you go to the doctor and you get it fixed and you pay your copay and that's right. it. Right. No big, no big deal. And so to have an insurance company turn around and say, yeah, no. In at a time in my life where I was in the most need I had ever been in, in my entire life, I was absolutely the most vulnerable I had been in my entire life. And I was carrying another human. Right. Felt so heavy. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the silver lining is that it does end, right? The hyperemesis goes away. It ends. Yeah. I learned to advocate for myself, especially mm-hmm. with the second two pregnancies. Sure. Yeah. Uh, partially because the hyperemesis wasn't quite, quite so bad as it was with the first. And also, like I had mentioned, this was, you know, the hyperemesis was recorded in my chart. So I didn't have to fight, 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 but I asked a lot of questions. I encouraged my doctors to take their time with me. (laughs) Oh, I love how you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Encourage you to take your time with me, Dr. So-and-so. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Everyone go encourage. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I know that my HMO pays for 15 minutes, so don't you dare walk out this door at seven and a half. Oof. What? Yeah. yeah. Like, drop. yeah. So I'm going to ask you all my questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Good for you. I mean, I do, I do understand. These are very busy people and of I'm course. Sure they're very lovely and have lots of other cases. Yeah. Self-advocacy is something I learned. Yeah. And to advocate for my little ones, right? We always talk about mama bear, mama bear. And I think that comes easier, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, reaching out for our children Mm -hmm. is so much easier than reaching out for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I learned, I, you know, I really learned who, who my network of support was. Mm -hmm. And I was able to prepare for that in the second and third pregnancies, right? I know, I knew that my mom had my back. I knew my mother-in-law had my back. I knew my husband was standing by, which God, I just thank my lucky stars 
for all of these people that I had a really solid foundation. Sure. I, I mean, you really do need your, you're physically incapacitated and um, emotionally <laughs> depleted and, and just yeah. literally depleted. Um, literally you, depleted. Yeah, you need, you do need and deserve help and support. It's, it's a lot to go through. Right. Um, like, hey, four bags of fluids. Oh, I guess I was depleted. <laughs> right, right, right. That's yeah. quite um, quite a journey, and I'm I'm grateful that you're sharing this um, because I, I think for a lot of people who deal with HG, it's hard to conceptualize and think about a second pregnancy or a third, or that you know to to go through it again. And if they want to, certainly you don't have to if you don't want to. But for people who want to have a, a second pregnancy, you know it's a lot to wade through. And what's so interesting about the the process is just like you were saying if somebody had told you that this was going to be how it was, you wouldn't be able to imagine that you could get through it. But when you're in it, you get through it. You, you yes. do the thing for the you most part. If, if you have adequate support, yes. Um, if you have support, that, that changes a lot of things. So certainly life context matters and support systems matter and all of that. But right, it's hard to imagine the, the bigness of dealing with something like this. But really when you're in it, you're you're doing day to day and, and you 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 did you did. You got through it three times. And now you're helping other people who might be going through it, which is just fantastic. Um, and we need we need so many people in the profession to because it, like, it's more normal than people know. Right. And you know, as I speak to people now about it. So many times um, the response to me is, oh, isn't it that, isn't that the thing that Kate Middleton had? Or isn't that mm. the thing that humor had? And I was like, I had it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you started it. Excuse me, I'm the one that made it cool. <laughs> right, right. Totally kidding. Yeah, of course, of course. But but it is so helpful that, you know, for celebrities who are dealing with it, that they talk openly about it. Oh my gosh. I felt, honestly, I felt validated. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. As if, you know, as if my own experience wasn't validating enough, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) To prove it to myself that it was a real thing I went through. Right, right. To hear of other people, you know, talking about it. And of course, Amy Schumer is so just raw. She keeps it so Mm -hmm. real. Mm -hmm. I really felt validated Mm -hmm. with her, you know, her Mm -hmm. posting on Instagram about, you know, her experience and and whatnot, because, oh, my heart just went out to her. I, Mm -hmm. I, I saw her, you know, online and was just like, oh God, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, really, really tough. Right, it's really tough. Well, you know, hearing stories like your stories and and hers and and all of the people who are going through it and talking about it really is helpful for the people who are at home. And I mean, I can even say clients of mine and people that I've supported that don't hear stories from other people. It's invaluable that you came on and shared this with us today. And I just thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on, for doing this podcast, <laughs> sure. breaking down these stigmas and misconceptions about yeah. mental health and perinatal mental health and all things sure. related. 
it's just so important. I'm glad that we're like living in this time where we're able to push it forward. And yeah. thank you for doing that. Aw, thanks. It's <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Lauren, for sharing this with us. It is really, really important that we know about these potential conditions that could affect us or the people that we love. If you know someone who is dealing with hyperemesis gravidarum, please do share this with them. It's so important because as we were talking about, any number of conditions can be very isolating during pregnancy and postpartum. And it's so powerful to know that you're not alone. You're not the only one and that it's okay to advocate for yourself. It's okay to seek out resources and help that's going to help. And again, really, really important to know that this is not, quote unquote, just morning sickness, which is bad enough, honestly. This is a very severe condition, hyperemesis, and we have to take it seriously, make sure people are really getting the treatment that they deserve. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please go subscribe and you can hear every episode downloaded directly to you as it drops. Pick and choose what you want to listen to. Pick and choose what you want to share. I know that there's at least one episode in our 180 something or other that will resonate with you or somebody that you know and love. Come join us on Facebook at Mom and Mind Podcast or on Instagram at Mom and Mind. And thank you for joining us today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.